we'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Good afternoon. Thank you guys again for joining us on our Facebook live um, broadcast that we've been doing um, this spring and summer. So I'm your host. I'm Dr. Amy Thompson. I'm the CEO of Covenant Children's um, in Lubbock, Texas. Um, and just want to give a few reminders and then I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Um, so as a reminder, the information that's provided during this event is for informational purposes only. This event does not create a doctor-patient relationship and any questions or medical advice discussed is not considered guidance on what you should do. For any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or healthcare professional. So we're so glad um, that you decided to join us today. It is my privilege uh, today to introduce to you uh, Dr. Jeremy Dalton. Um, Dr. Dalton is a dear friend, um, a, a colleague, and I'm, I'm so happy that he is um, here with us in Lubbock. And so I have asked him to come and talk with us today um, about all things. We're going to talk about well child care and immunizations and, and all of these great things. So Dr. Dawson, thank you so much for joining us. And why don't you just start by telling just a little bit about yourself and what your role is here in Lubbock and, and uh, what all you do. My pleasure, Dr. Thompson. So um, I've been in Lubbock for uh, since about 2008. I actually I, I grew up here and then went off to medical school in Houston for a while. And then my wife and I moved back back a few years ago. Um, I'm a pediatrician with our medical group here and been doing that since 2008. We, uh, my wife and I have a practice together and um, we also have six kids of our own. So we have a lot of kids at work and a lot of kids at home. So um, we, uh, we at least have a lot of street cred, I think. And, um, and so I've also been uh, pretty active in the hospital, um, on the hospital medical staff. I've been chief of staff and serving mm -hmm. a few other ro roles as well. So uh, my pleasure for joining us. Um, I'm, so, I'm so glad you're joining us. And um, he really does have a lot of kids. And so we, we joke that uh, there, there's, uh, their office is a popular one here in Lubbock. So people just talk about going to the Daltons and um, it's fantastic. So obviously, you know, almost everything that we're talking about these days has to do with COVID. And so I just want to talk specifically about routine well child appointments. And so when kids come in just to get that routine care, have you seen a change in that? And, you know, kind of what are your thoughts on, on those differences that COVID has hit? Yes, we definitely saw a change. I think when COVID hit back in the spring, um, really a lot of pediatricians and physicians in general were kind of just sitting around not doing much of anything because people were under stay-at-home orders and they were everyone was had quite a bit of anxiety about getting out. So uh, routine well child care definitely suffered. And 
Um, it's starting to pick back up, but I think there was still there was a lot of ground to make up. And not only did we notice that in our practice and in our community, but there was definitely a noticeable drop nationwide in, um, in routine child care and immunizations. Yes, I agree. And so specifically, you know, I, I want to just ask a question about immunizations. Did you also, with that routine child care, you know, obviously that's normally when kids will also get immunizations. And so have you seen that in your practice as well? Yes, we've had we're we're playing playing catch up on the immunization front right now because mm-hmm. when people don't come in for well child care, they don't come in for um, for r- routine immunizations either. So, and as you probably anybody with kids knows, they kids get a lot of vaccines from birth until about two or so. So if they miss a, a well child appointment, um, they're going to miss shots too. So you can't make those up. Um, in one visit often. So it takes a little bit of time to to make those up if they miss appointments. Yeah, I agree. And so talk a little bit. I think sometimes when we have people watching, talk a little bit about like what I would call an essential doctor, you know, visit. Sometimes, you know, folks um, will talk to me even, you know, you know, I, I just work here in the hospital, but I have to remind patients also, you know, all the time that we have to follow up with our PCP, not just when we're sick, but for these well child exams and for immunization. So talk about those as, you know, essential doctor visits and kind of what you're hoping to accomplish um, Mm -hmm. in in those visits. Yes, uh, that's a good good question, Amy. There's a lot packed into these visits. So, you know, people think about uh, um, just sick visits as, as a time to go to the doctor, but uh, well child visits are really important too. So not only do we give vaccines at well child visits um, at certain increments, but there's a lot of things we look at as well. So, you know, we plot kids out on the growth chart. We see how they're growing. We do a, a very thorough developmental assessment every time they come in and a comprehensive physical exam too. We do things like check their hearing, check their vision. Um, so, you know, and sometimes, um, parents don't exactly know everything that's going on because they're busy too. So uh, it's really our job as pediatricians to make sure kids are completely healthy, both physically and emotionally at well child visits. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, when we were in residency, I, I joked that was the last time I did clinic was, you know, <laughs> in the residency days. But my, one of my favorite parts of those visits was we called it the anticipatory guidance, um, mm-hmm. you know, section that you would look at each of those well child visits. And, you know, it was an opportunity for you to answer questions from moms um, and, you know, exactly how to anticipate the guidance that they're going to need kind of for that next, you know, developmental stage. And I often found that it was a great time to talk with the parents about, you know, what to expect and clearly um, you know, what to look for if they didn't see some of those, you know, anticipated mm-hmm. um, yes. things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can always, like, like you said, we can make sure things are going well at, during that visit at that time, but also tell them what to anticipate from that visit to the next one, because there's about two, oftentimes two to three months between visits. Yeah. So they need to know what to expect over the next several months. And it's been my experience, you know, I I work in the hospital. So obviously, you know, you and I work together where you guys will sometimes send kids to us. And there have been kids that we have picked up because they've come to well child visits that say, like you talked about, that have fallen off the growth chart or, you know, various other things we're actually able to bring into the hospital and kind of figure out, you know, what's going on um, with them. And maybe even in a way that the parents were unaware 
um, that they had, you know, fallen off the curve or, you know, different things like that. So I know mm -hmm. we work very closely with you guys in the outpatient setting to be able to identify kids um, that we need to do more work up for in the hospital. Mm -hmm. yeah. So talk specifically about, you know, when parents, I will often, you know, get this question of like, what immunizations are the most important? And, you know, wh why are they the most important and, and what would you consider? Now, you know, I'm going to be a big pediatrician and say, they're, They're all, all important. important. So, yeah, I'm going to say, so you don't get out of this by giving um, what I know is your answer, which is they're all important. So. Yes. Okay. I have this conversation a lot. And um, we talk about, I talk about which vaccines are most important, if not every day, multiple times a week. And, you know, I do think, I, I do think they're all important. And I'll talk about that more in a second. But um, I think the, the most important ones are the ones that um, for um, illnesses that are still present in the community. So you can think about like whooping cough and tetanus. Um, you could get, if, if the child's not vaccinated, they could get that at any point. Um, because uh, pertussis, which causes whooping cough and tetanus, are still alive and well. Um, and also, I think that is probably the most important one, especially in um, infants, because if they got whooping cough, they could get very, very sick, and they could come see you on the uh, in the hospital very quickly and be there for a while. Um, but then there's also other vaccines. Uh, we we vaccinate against a bacteria called Strep pneumococcus that um, causes a, a lot of different problems. It can cause something as simple as an ear infection, um, but also it can cause pneumonia and bloodstream infections and meningitis, things that are really bad. So that's a bacteria that is uh, present in the community. We have a vaccine now that covers a, a 13 strains of this bacteria. So um, it's very effective at preventing a lot of um, illnesses that were not able to be prevented um, in the past. So I think those are the two that come to mind. Also, I think there are um, there are vaccines against meningitis. So especially kids that go are going to to middle school and college need those. I think it's especially important for college age kids because they're going to be going to. Uh, to a dorm and being in close contact with many other college age kids. So uh, meningitis, um, they can spread very easily amongst college, college age kids who are close together. So um, there are illnesses like that that are still um, alive and well in the community, but it's important to vaccinate against other things as well. Cause you think, think about something like polio. So you're like, well, I don't need a, a polio vaccine anymore because it's been gone for, um, for a long time. And that is true. Although in places where vaccine rates are lower, polio still exists. So I always tell patients, you know, polio, if you're not vaccinated, polio is just a plane ride away. And so you need to, we need to get vaccinated against that just to keep our, um, our vaccination rates up. So herd immunity um, is, um, is present. So I'm sure we've, everybody's heard lots about herd immunity with COVID, but herd immunity is important for other things as well. So there's also another uh, bacteria called Haemophilus influenza. So that vaccine came, came around, um, came around in the eighties when, um, Haemophilus influenza was causing meningitis in lots of different kids, and it was a uh, um, it was a very very 
debilitating disease, but the vaccine works so well, we don't ever see it. I've only seen seen it once or twice in, uh, in the last 15 years because the vaccine works so well. So that's one that you should also get, even though we don't see it anymore, because it's important to keep vaccination rates up so we can um, continue to have herd immunity against these, these illnesses. So, um, and then also you take, take something like the flu vaccine. I think that one is is really important as well because even though the flu vaccine is not a hundred percent effective, it is one that is is important to prevent um, complications from seasonal influenza that can affect anybody, but especially young kids and, and older people. Um, and there's also even if if the vaccine isn't a perfect match to the strain from year to year there's still some cross uh, cross immunity to to different strains of the vac- of the of the virus yeah, uh, no, one other I might mention is uh, the MMR vaccine. I think that one's really important. You're mentioning all, all of them, them, Jeremy. I know, because they're all important, Amy. <laughs> 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 and the MMR is important because there's still outbreaks of measles here and there. And we've, uh, we've, we're just kind of, we were just getting over a, a measles outbreak whenever COVID came along. We, so we, we're, we're not hearing much about that, but I am concerned just like a lot of pediatricians that as vaccination rates dip, uh, something like measles can, uh, can surface again. So it's really important to, to vaccinate against everything. So again, I know that may not be what you're looking for because no. we wanted to talk about the most important ones, but I think they're all important. I, I agree. I always laugh at this question because I, I think that if you have to make a list, you know, about what the most important are, I think you've done a great job with that. But it is really true that um, I, I joke, this is the joke amongst, you know, pediatricians is th- the real correct answer is they're all important. And mm-hmm. I obviously have this, you know, biased, um, you know, patient population that I see because since I just work in the hospital, you know, we oftentimes only see the kids that are very sick from you know, vaccine preventable illnesses. Mm-hmm. And I will say that um, in, I'm older than you. And so <laughs> I, started, um, I started at a time when um, there was a lot of the diseases that we had actually, in many cases, we were using the term eradicated um, because of those high herd immunity rates and, you know, those different things. And we certainly have seen those have a comeback mm-hmm. in the last few mm-hmm. years with increasing immunization rates. And, and so I always, I always have to, when people ask me the question about, you know, vaccines and immunizations, I always have to lead with, you have to keep in mind, all of the kids I see are the kids that have had very bad outcomes mm-hmm. from, from diseases. And so, you know, we talk about strep pneumo. And for me, as a pediatric hospitalist, what strep pneumo means is usually very devastating meningitis. Mm-hmm. And is who, who leave not neurologically the same, you know, as they came in. And so, um, you know, I never want to use scare tactics or, or things like that. It's more that this is the reality is that mm-hmm. when we allow these things to come back in. And then I also, you know, in the hospital, I have the privilege to take care of a lot of um, cancer patients. And so patients mm-hmm. who are immunocompromised and, you know, those folks. And man, it is really important that we all as a community, like even on things like flu, I believe in getting flu mm-hmm. because it is the flu in the general population. But the simple flu can be a deadly yeah. disease for a kid mm-hmm. with cancer. And so my perspective is very much, you know, um, I think sometimes skewed 
because I, I can see the downsides, um, you know, of what happens um, when we when we don't do these. Um, so we do have um, a question that's coming in, and I actually think while we're on this topic of um, of this, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this question about some of the the adverse you know things that happen with immunizations. And so this is specifically you know the risk of febrile seizures, and we've seen that you know some these are seizures that just happen with fever for those of you who are watching. And the question is, is there a risk of febrile seizures with any of the childhood vaccines? And my brother had a bad experience uh, many years ago after a vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. talk a little I, bit about what know, and then I'll, I'll chime in as well. Mm -hmm. So I think the one that they're probably, ha probably had the adverse reaction to was the, probably the DTP vaccine. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the, one of the good things that we've done it, with vaccines in the last few years is we've substituted the um, the pertussis component with an acellular component. So the side effects are much, uh, much more mild. So um, whereas the old one did cause, there was a risk for febrile seizures, the new one, they can have some low grade fever, but that's really the most, um, the most common side effect. And they make it a little bit fussy, but um, the downside to substituting these, the, those pertussis component with an acellular component is it doesn't work quite as well as the old DTP vaccine, um, but side effect profile is much better. So um, I think what I always tell patients is, um, is the, the main side effects to vaccines, the ones that they need to be aware of, um, is, um, is a low-grade fever, fussiness, and they may be a little bit sleepy, but, um, you know, that usually happens with the two-month vaccines. The four-month vaccines, they tend to get a little bit more fussy and run a little bit more fever. Six months are usually better. Um, after that, I think the, this, this, the risk of side effects is pretty low. I think with the MMR vaccine, um, that's the one they get at 12 months, they can get a, um, they can get a rash a few weeks later, but that's really fairly uncommon. I think uncommon side effects would include a high fever, you know, more than 102. Um, does not happen very often, but it can happen occasionally. I think anytime you have a fever that high, um, it can lower the fever th the threshold a little bit and the fireball seizures could be uh, a side effect, but that is a very rare side effect and nothing I think that parents should, I think that should be too concerned about. They can always, of course, treat fever and other systemic symptoms with Tylenol or Motrin. That can help. Um, and then I don't think that uh, a small, very small risk of adverse side effects should um, prohibit parents from giving vaccines to their children. Yeah, I agree with that. And I actually have this theory, who knows, you know, if the theory is, is correct, but I think that because we had done so well um, in the past with, you know, immunizing, and we had, in many of these cases, we had really eradicated a lot of the disease that the thing you hear about now, because you don't hear about the side effects of those diseases, is you hear about the side effects from the vaccines, mm -hmm. which, to your point, many times are, are mild, um, but are very scary. And I, I will say, mm -hmm. um, not in relation to immunizations, but as a pediatric hospitalist, I take care of a lot of kids with what we call febrile seizures. Mm -hmm. And while it is not scary to me, I think because we have, you know, taken care of it for so much, I can fathom, um, you know, I'm a mom. And so I can only imagine that sometimes the things that I hear myself saying to my patients, I'm like, these people must think I'm crazy when I'm like, hey, we see this and it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And it's really scary 
um, but you know the, the kids do really well with this. Um, and I think sometimes it's that fear of you know these adverse events. And I think sometimes what has happened is because we have gotten close to eradicating these diseases, we see more of conversation about the adverse events than actually about the diseases mm-hmm. itself. And you know the truth is, um, I also think you know I, I think about there was a Brady Bunch. You're probably even too young to watch. Oh, Brady I Bunch. watched the Brady They're Bunch. <laughs> The Brady Bunch. <laughs> I think that they had the mumps. Do you remember this? And like yes. uh-huh. mumps or you know something, and they were in the house. But I also think that sometimes like that's how we think of those diseases. Mm-hmm. Don't think about is when mumps was a thing. Even when the Brady Bunch was on, there was kids every year who like lots of kids who died from those types of diseases. And and so you know sometimes I think we have this view of these diseases you know, that's very, you know, I'll call it very Brady Bunch. But but I think sometimes the reason that this can be scary for parents is because they're reading more about the, you know, adverse effects of vaccines rather than the things that can happen if we allow these things, Mm -hmm. like, to come back into our, you know, into our community. Yes. Yeah. I think those are very good points. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go to kids coming in for well-child visit. Mm -hmm. What are specific things that you guys have done in your clinic that are like safeguards and that can help parents, you know, feel safe about Mm -hmm. kids in for, for well, you know, care and those kind of things. Yeah. Luckily we had plenty of time to sit around and brainstorm in the spring while I weren't seeing patients about how we can protect (laughs) them when they came in. So we're doing a few things. So, um, we basically have eliminated our waiting room. So um, that's probably been the most helpful things. The patients really aren't in contact with other patients. So um, we, uh, we've had them wait in their cars and then we just, um, uh, we usher them from their car to an exam room and then back out. So they don't have to um, sit in a lobby with other uh, potentially sick kids. Um, we've also um, separated um well visits from sick visits. So we've been clustering well visits together and sick visits. So I think keeping well kids on one in one part of the schedule and then sick patients on another has really helped as well. Okay, good. That's those are those are great things. And I encourage you, um, if your you know pediatrician's office is not doing those things, you know, encourage encourage them to do safe practices. There's really good. Um, things that are out now on, yeah. on ways that you can mm-hmm. make people feel safe. And yeah. we've had the same thing in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, mask usage, too. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, everybody's pretty well used to mask at this point, yeah. I think. But everyone's required to wear a mask, so I think that's been helpful as well. Yeah, I agree with that. So I have had some questions on things like, okay, so are you saying that, like, if I miss a routine, you know, visit for my kid or something like that, does that increase the risk that my, my kid could potentially get COVID or is the reason that we're, you're telling me to come in, you know, a different reason than, than just because of susceptibility to COVID? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think it totally, like it totally could potentially increase the risk for COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, I think gr- thankfully um, something I've been really happy with, I mean, most pediatricians have kids seem to be, not as affected as severely as uh, other segments of the population. But um, if I think it's important to come in for well visits just to make sure there's no that your kid, your, your child is healthy, growing, growing well, and there's no underlying conditions that 
that that we could potentially pick up in a well visit that would, could make your child more susceptible to complications from COVID. Um, another thing, if uh, say your child, if you missed a, a, um, a, a routine immunization visit, like the 12 month visit, say where they get the MMR vaccine, if they miss the MMR vaccine and then they're exposed to somebody with measles, then if they got measles, measles is a, is a uh, uh, one of the reasons measles is such a terrible illness is because it pretty much erases your immune memory. So um, you would not be have as many immune um, cells to fight the uh, coronavirus if you did get it. So I know that's kind of um, extrapolating quite a bit, but that is one example of a reason it would be good to uh, to stay as caught up on your well child care as possible. And and I'm always amazed, you know, every pediatrician, especially, you know, I don't know what you do for your kids since you actually are in the in the clinic, but every pediatrician has to have a pediatrician. And so yes. Um, I, I have been I have been with the great Dr. Holly Hansen. Um, since she was uh, one of my residency. Um, um, she actually was a, a teacher for me in, in residency. And I will have to say that one of the things I'm always amazed about <laughs> is stuff that I have told my children 750 times, and that they roll their eyes. They go yes. to Dr. Hansen, and she says it one time, and we will get back in the car, and they're like, "Did you know?" <laughs> You know, do whatever, and and I I don't want to I don't want to run past that because I really do think um, that we have to remember that pediatricians have that relationship with people's mm. children, and it has been amazing to me over the years to watch when a pediatrician tells my kid something they actually listen. Maybe I should go do some reflection on that, but um, but they actually listen and it really makes a difference. And so I would expect mm-hmm. say. If you have a kid who is, you know, in a higher risk group for having, um, you know, some adverse, you know, effects from COVID, if you have asthma, if you have underlying, you know, lung you know, issues. Part of the reason we also want you to come in is because Dr. Dalton will talk to your kid and be able to say some things to them about making sure that they understand how to protect themselves um, against COVID. And it's just that our kids sometimes listen to other people before they're going to listen to us. And I, I don't want to run past, um, mm-hmm. I've watched, I've watched it even with you when you come to see patients, you know, with me in the hospital is that these kids and their parents really trust their primary care doctor. And so um, I think that the primary care doctor can have a real input um, into helping those kids make good decisions. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's an excellent point. A lot of times it just takes somebody, not the parent to tell, <laughs> to tell them. And <laughs> I think it helps if you have a medical degree. <laughs> And a relationship with the patient. So, um, that's, that's an excellent point, Amy. Okay. And so talk just really quick about, you know, if we have somebody who's watching and they are struggling, you know, with resources and, and different things like that, are there places that folks can go for vaccines at, you know, low cost or no cost? And where would you encourage those folks to go if they're worried about being able to, you know, afford a copay at a PCP's office or something like that. Yeah, I think they have a couple of different options. Um, there's, um, they first of all, they could, um, they could always check with their primary care physician because we all, as far as I know, have um, uh, VFC vaccines, which is vaccines yeah. for children. I think that uh, the VF, VFC uh, vaccinates, I think, about fifty percent of the kids in, in America. So, you know, that that would probably be the first thing. Those are those are. Uh, inexpensive. I think they are um, $5 a vaccine. So uh, pretty reasonable. Um, 
you know, the, the health department's also an option. They do, they do vaccines every day. So they'd be happy to help out. And then um, there, we have a children's clinic here that, um, that, get, that, can vet can see kids with with limited or no funding so um and that's the case in most communities i think so there's a few options i think um especially during this time when um so many people are are, are struggling with funds just because of increased unemployment and prolonged unemployment um i don't think it, it that shouldn't necessarily hopefully it won't be um prohibitive to uh, to getting up-to-date vaccines yeah i agree and always always in your community i think calling the health department the health department is usually the keeper of resources in terms mm -hmm. of like they will know a place to tell you that's a low yeah. cost clinic or you know where you can go for immunization so i always say they they're the keepers of many good pieces of information you know mm -hmm. about medicine. all right so yeah. this is your moment Dr. Dalton, you're going to have one last opportunity to say anything that you want to say to our viewers about the importance of well child care immunization. So hit, it, so hit them with. Please, if you haven't come in, if you haven't come in in a while for well child care, now is the time because uh, we, and there's a lot of grace here because I think a lot mm -hmm. of us were, had anxiety around COVID and fear of exposing your child to COVID, um, understandably, because nobody wanted unnecessary exposure. So in the spring, I think a, a lot of people got behind on well child care, but um, now that schools are starting back up, I think most schools are in session already. Um, a lot of kids uh, are about to go to school. I know uh, that New York City is getting ready to start after Labor Day. I think a lot of other schools are starting after Labor Day. Most most kids are going in person, so they're going to be exposed anyway. So, um, and I think a lot of doctors' offices are doing the uh, taking precautions, like we've talked about. So, I think the risk of picking up COVID at your doctor doctor's office is low. So, I think that if you haven't if you haven't come in for well child care or you've gotten behind on vaccines. Now would be a great time to get that started because every pediatrician that I know of knows about catch-up catch yes. vaccine schedules. So if you've gotten behind, don't worry about trying to sort through it. That's our job. So we can help them get back on track. And they haven't really missed that much time. It's only been about six months. So um, we can get every kid caught up very easily. And now would be a, now would be a great time to do it because if you're going to get a – flu vaccine. Um, I think September is a great month to do it. So and I think now would be a very good year to get a flu shot because if we can eliminate one illness this year, I think that would be excellent. And the flu vaccine is a good way to do that. So that's what I would say as far as catching up goes. Beautiful. I echo all of that. And I, I would just underscore, we have taken a lot of precautions at the hospital. I know you guys have in clinics um, to make sure that your child is safe um, from COVID when they come visit us, mm -hmm. but don't delay medical care. That's been my biggest um, my biggest message to people is if you think your child is sick, bring them in to be seen. And for sure, parents keep up with well child care um, and immunizations. And I always feel like I should wear a T-shirt that says immunize, immunize, immunize. <laughs> um, and, uh, so on, on the ones that we know and, and are on the immunization schedule, um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer. Dr. Dawson, thank you so much. It was fun to have you. Uh, thank you, today. Dr. Thompson. It was nice talking yeah. with you. Awesome. Well, um, to learn more about our initiatives, programs, services, or any ways um, that, that, you know, for medical advice, please visit providence.org. 
Um, and make sure to follow us on social media. And you can look for Providence Health System on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any other thing that you do uh, for social media. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And Dr. Dalton, have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you. you too, Amy. Thank you.